Hello, hello. Welcome, friends, to another episode of Rumors of Grace. And today, I've got a very sobering and serious conversation that I want to have with a very special guest and a very good friend of mine. But before I do that, I want to just set some groundwork. It's the 27th of May, and there's some things going on in our world besides COVID, besides what we've been seeing and what changes, pandemics, things like that. We also are seeing some, some very disturbing things coming out in the news. And in the last last couple of days, maybe the last 36 hours, we've seen some things that have been not only disturbing, but they've been enraging to a lot of us. The person I'm going to talk to today, I'm anxious to hear his perspective. Those of you who know what I'm talking about, the murder of George Floyd by a policeman while other policemen watched. I, first of all, want to start this podcast by saying I am a white male. I have had advantages in my life financially. I've had advantages socially. I've had advantages educationally. So I want to say that up front. I also know that I control this microphone. So I'm going to try to listen and learn as much as I can. So today's guest is Mr. Kendall Duffy. He and his brother and his sister Michelle and Clyde They run D3 Entertainment. For the last 12 years here in Nashville, and actually their reach goes all around the world, they have worked on films and marketing and promotion, films you may have heard of like War Room and Unconditional, artists from Kirk Franklin to C.C. Winans, sports figures. They understand the African-American consumer, and I go to Michelle and to Kendall, when I have questions and I want to learn, and today I want to learn. So I want to welcome to the podcast today, Mr. Kendall Duffy. Kendall, welcome to Rumors of Grace. Thank you so much for having me. It's an honor and privilege to be here. Thanks, man. You and I were talking before I started, and I, I had this, I guess, just changed and shifted my thinking the last few days. This has caused me to do a lot of soul-searching. And I think I've always wanted or not wanted to be a racist, Kendall. But what I've never been, I don't think I've ever done, and I think I'm walking over that line there, there, is I've never been a true ally. And I think there's a difference between being an ally and just not wanting to be a racist. In order to do that, to be an ally requires you to educate yourself about systematic racism in this country. And if you're going to make a change and to do something different, you're going to have to be an ally. So I'm saying all that up front. So I want to hear from you, Kendall. So before we jump into what's been happening with George Floyd and and other situations, let's talk a little bit about who is Kendall Duffy? What's your background, your history? (laughs) What are you doing right now? And let's, let's set a little, let's set the stage for this conversation. Well, Bob, as you know, we've, we've worked together on several projects over the years alongside my twin brother and my sister, uh, Michelle, my twin brother, Clyde, and my sister, Michelle. But I'm a music industry veteran, entertainment executive, music producer, and, you know, I've been fortunate to travel the world and see a lot of things, and which is very on point for our conversation today because 
my view was very broad from being fortunate to see a lot of places, a lot of people, a lot of situations and scenarios that I can draw from, from my perspective as an African-American male, as an African-American person in general, that I think will be very on point and on target for this conversation today, Bob. Well, I appreciate you taking the time, and I've loved working with you on projects in the past, and you, you guys have been just amazing to work with. And I know these conversations I've had with you and with Michelle over the years uh, on, at kind of different times and in different levels and intensities, but I thought it was so important for just, if anything comes out of this at next hour, Kendall, I just want people to observe and hear what it's like for people uh, coming from two different backgrounds, different colors, different histories, having a civil kind conversation, and me as a white male attempting to understand as best I can what's the black experience in America. So with that kind of foundation, let's just jump right into this. George Floyd, it's horrendous. It's unacceptable on every single level. I don't think anybody with the right mind would argue with that. But for you, you know, I saw another human being being murdered, and I was angry. What did you see, and what are you feeling right now? I saw myself. I saw myself being murdered. And I say that because systematically, it's a scenario that's played out time and time again uh, in this country that is just it's like enough is enough. So to see this, this man, you know, lying on the ground, George Floyd with someone who was designed to protect us and, and safeguard communities and people and failed in every aspect of that. With no remorse. I mean, when you look at the expression on his face, you look at his body language, his, his hand in his pocket, it's extremely disturbing. But what's probably more disturbing is that it's such a common ground for us in this country. And that is probably the biggest thing that I struggle with. Mm. Mm. What was it like for you growing up I mean, I've heard, and I know a little bit of your story. I know you guys came from poverty, and, and the story is amazing. I've had Michelle on another podcast. I don't know if I've I've broadcast that conversation on this podcast, but I know that the story is amazing. I know that you you did not come from a privileged background. So in your experience growing up as a young black male, as a teenager, going, did you encounter things like this growing up? Unfortunately, I did, you know, and it's, it's been sporadic here and there, but, you know, we come from a country that was built on that principle. I mean, this is a country that at one time felt like it was legal to hold people captive as slaves. So you cannot dismiss the premise upon which this country was built. Hmm. Some information years ago that was very startling to me that was part of the Constitution in 1787 where they had the three-fifths compromise, which basically alluded to African-Americans being counted in the Census Bureau for voting and other any other dynamic as being three-fifths of a man. Hmm. This is in the Constitution. So 
when you when you understand just how ugly the history of this country is, you can't dismiss that a lot of what is happening today is a lot of the mindset of yesteryear that is still prevalent today. And I'm going to say this, that this is a lot of Donald Trump's America. And I know this is not a political conversation, but I'm going to be very candid with a lot of things that we are seeing today that is very aligned with a lot of the principles and things that this man stands for. Now, for me, I had a situation, Bob, probably, I don't remember what year this was, but it was, it was some time ago. I was in New York City with my twin brother, Clyde. We were working at a studio, and we left the studio at about 11 p.m. We took the subway. We were, we were a little outside of New York. We took the subway to where our hotel was. We got to that um, stop, got off. I told my brother, Clyde, that I wanted to stop and get some snacks at a, at a corner store. He wanted to go ahead and walk, walk ahead and get to the uh, hotel. So he w- walked ahead. I stayed and stopped at the corner store. I come out of the store, Bob. I'm walking, and I see a couple police cars um, drive by slowly. So I didn't think too much of it. And then within probably 60 seconds, I hear a bunch of tires screeching. And I look around, and there's probably seven or eight police cars, and they're, like, speeding up and stopping right where I am. My first thought is that I've walked into an active crime scene. So I'm looking around, and the police officers, who happen to all be white, got out of their car, drew their weapon, and said, drop the bag. I had a little small bag of, of snacks that I just purchased. So again, my first, so I'm looking around, literally looking behind me, I'm looking around, like, did I just walk into something, like, you know, unbeknownst to me and I'm looking around. So within a couple of seconds, I realized they're talking to me. So I dropped the bag and I'm being commanded to get on my knees. So I get on my knees. I'm, and I'm so first thing that comes to mind, I'm like, what's going on? One officer approaches me, says, shut up. He kicks the bag that I dropped right by me away. And another officer takes the bag, empties it out, kicks, you know, bottle water, chip, whatever it was in my bag, snacks, kicks it around with their flashlights looking at this stuff. One guy, I'm going to keep my hands up, reaches in my pocket, grabs my wallet, throws it on the concrete, kicks it around. One guy picks it up. They're looking at it. So again, I'm like, officer, what's going on? So another officer says, we've just had a report of someone that looks like you that's been breaking in cars. So the first thing I'm thinking to myself, if I'm breaking in cars, wouldn't I be driving a car? <laughs> You know, right. uh, I'm on foot. So, and then this whole someone that looks like you. Very disturbing to hear that for me as an African-American man because that is such a undertone of a black man and we, we need to see who you are and what you're up to. So this ordeal goes on for probably 15 minutes. I'm getting detained, questioned. Now, here's the thing, Bob. You know me. A lot of people know me. I am a very mild-mannered very even killed person. Had it been someone else that had a little bit more fire in them, the situation could have turned very different. But that has nothing to do with excessive force. You know, the fact that you, if you are someone that's going to be more abrasive, yeah, you know, there's certain things that, that we should adhere to when it comes to the law. 
but there's nothing that justifies excessive force to the point of death, regardless of what someone does. So long story short, in this situation, after this whole or after this ordeal ends, Bob, I'm pretty much left with they get up, no explanation, no ticket, no report written out as to what happened, why they stopped me. They get up, they drive off. I'm literally in tears in frustration, not mm. in fear, in frustration. So when I get to the hotel, my brother's like, what took so long? So I, I told him what happened. He wanted to go out and, and like, you know, try to figure out what's going on. I'm like, no, like, like this is not, this is probably what they wanted to do. Right. You know what I mean? So, and for me to have that situation happen to myself, Bob, it goes back to why when you ask the question, what do I see when I, when I watch the video of all these situations, not just what, not just what recently happened in Minneapolis, I see myself because that situation could have easily gone south. Let's just say that someone was trigger finger happy and just wanted to shoot me and then say, well, we saw a gun, we couldn't find it, or God forbid they planted a gun on me. Mm. Who knows? And then I would have been this hashtag that you're talking about right now. Right. So it's very disturbing. And one of the things that really bothers me is that when people say, and especially white people, and I have to just say this very candidly, well, what did he do? He had to do something for, for mm. this to happen. That is such a racist statement, and I'm telling you why, Bob. That's the mentality of slave masters when they would chop off a slave's toe or chop off his arm or lynch him. Well, he did something wrong. He, he spoke up to me or he, he tried to sneak out of the house one night. Or What did he do? Who are you to play God to say that he did something that's deserving of death? Yes. That statement just totally bothers the heck out of me. Regardless of what someone did, and 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 if you wanna if you wanna try to play that card, well, what did Dylan Roof do? The young man, the young white kid who went to a church and shot nine innocent black people. So what did he do? He did something that's horrific. And how was he handled? He was handled with tenderness. He was coddled, literally. Mm. He was taken to Burger King on his way to while, while he was being uh, detained and and arrested. So when you say what did he do? Don't give me that crap. Because you look at the the movie theater shooter in Aurora, Colorado, I can go down a list of troubled white kids who have done horrific things and you never, ever see them being killed or put in situations that are unspeakable, unfathomable, like things that happen to us. But yet people say, well, what he, he had to do something. That's a slave master's mentality. That's why you saw lynchings. That's why you saw people with their toes cut off because they were under this. Well, what did he do? What did the slave do? He spoke up. He did this. He tried to read a book. He Don't give me that what did he do crap. Very, very frustrating and very, very offensive. Yeah. Yeah. I, I <laughs> unfortunately, I have, I have seen that. Unfortunately, I have thought things like that in the past. You know, there's this conflict that... I know as me as a white male has inside of him, and I want to hear your kind of response to this is I don't want to say every single police person is bad. I don't want to say that. And what frustrates me, I think, more than anything, and I want to hear your response to this is where are all those, quote, good cops 
coming to the rescue and taking down these bad cops? Because I'm not seeing that. Well, and that's a good point, Bob. You know, and you're right. Every cop isn't bad. Every person isn't bad. But what we're seeing is more systematic than, than individual. Yes. So, you know, you look at, I was looking at a clip this morning where the officer, I believe his name is, is Officer Chauvin, if I'm pronouncing it correctly, in, in, in Minneapolis, that created this, that, that, that just did this heinous act on this innocent citizen, had probably 50, if not more, armed police officers around his house protecting him. Uh, they were all white cops. And so, you know, it is very alarming that, you know, justice denied, you know, is justice unheard. And when you have people say, let's wait and, 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 and let this play out in court and let's, let's get the body camera video. And that is such a slap in the face. It's, it's almost like saying, you know, we know what happened, but give us time to try to figure out the, the easiest way to deal with this because we can't figure it out the easy way. We have to do something because there's too much uh, civil unrest. So give us a minute to figure that out. That's what I hear. Because if you saw a black man in a uniform or not, because you see what happened in, in, in Georgia, these were just citizens. Right. So in a uniform or not, put his neck on someone and kill them and is videotaped, there would be swift justice. He would be arrested and charged before there was, let's figure out what happened. Until we figure it out, he's going to be in jail until we figure it out. Mm. But you switch the narrative, and it's, 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 it's calm down. Let us figure it out. Don't rush to judgment. Rush to judgment? Do you not have eyes? Did you not hear every citizen that was around this man saying, he can't breathe, including the, the victim himself, saying, ease up on this man, you're going to kill him, including the victim himself? He was handcuffed on his stomach? What kind of threat was he? The threat that he was was he woke up black. That's his threat. Hmm. So when situations like that happen and, and people find a way to delay the process, it's just pouring salt on, on these wounds. And that's why you see people in the streets in Minneapolis, and I don't condone violence in any way, Bob, but that's the voice of the unheard. Yes. That's, that's the reaction of the unheard. Yes. That's the reaction of the unprotected. And God forbid, you know, someone gets hurt or killed, but you are causing a reaction by your lack of reaction. Yes. Right. I agree 100%. Let's take a step back and let's talk about, before we talk about steps forward, because I really want to learn, let's talk about the systematic. And when you say systematic, you're talking about deeply ingrained ways of culture, of systems that go back to the formation of this country, that go back to slavery. And one thing that I always remind my kids is my dad who grew up in the Deep South in Mississippi, who's now in his mid-late 80s, has told me he remembers as a very young little boy, seven, eight, nine, ten years old, he remembers growing up back then, so you're talking, you know, in the 30s, of parades, of veterans' parades, 
And there would be Civil War vets that were in their 80s, 90s, even centenarians. So we have people alive today that touched, saw, maybe even spoke with people that were in the Civil War. So slavery in the Civil War was only one person ago, if you think about it. It hasn't been that long. Absolutely. You know, we think of, oh, that's like uh, 150 years ago, and, you know, it's so long, and we need to get over it, and, you know, it's been such a, you know, it's ancient history, Abraham Lincoln. No, it really hasn't been that long ago. Hasn't been that long ago at all. And so I think we need to start there and realize that this is a fresh, open wound as much as we as white people specifically like to say, oh, it's let's just get over it. What is it? What what is the systematic? If you could just say, as a black man who's done very well for himself, who has, you know, done great things, who you know is a is a picture of success regardless of who you are, but yet you are affected by that system and that systematic racism in a much different way, obviously, than I am. Talk to me about that. What is the systematic racism to you? What does it mean? Let's define it, and let uh, I want to learn. Well, Bob, you mentioned um, Civil War. So the Civil War, if you think about this, we had a war in this country to fight against the enslavement of black people. Hmm. Let that sink in. Right. Let that really sink in. And so that's a system. Mm-hmm. You had a war that was directed towards the enslavement of black people. Mm. <laughs> I mean, it, it's, it's almost unfathomable to think that you're going to war over saying this person should, is less than anyone else, and I'm willing to go to war to prove it and to keep it this way. Hmm. And, mi- and millions of lies, very, very and millions of lies, and millions of people. Millions died. of lives, but that's a very, very, very dangerous mindset. And as you touched on, you know, you know, people that were, you know, very directly a part of that era. So there's a mentality that's been ingrained in certain people, and it's passed down. Racism is is, is taught; it's not inherited. You know, if if you take a a newborn white kid and a newborn black kid and isolate them and put them somewhere and let them grow up together, they will never know to hate each other. Right. I agree. It's taught. Mm -hmm. There's no way you can tell me that if you isolate two individuals of different different nationalities or races and never let them be privy to the ills of this world, that they're going to not like each other. They may not like certain things that each other does or says, like like humanity-wise, but you can't tell me they're going to look at someone and say, "Hey, you look different than me. I don't like you. Mm-hmm. You should be you should be treated less than me because I'm I'm a little my pigmentation is of a fairer complexion than yours. Mm. It's not going to happen, Bob. Mm. So it's a system that we are constantly being reminded is still alive and well. And you know, you know, the thing that people you know have a hard time with grasping is that when something doesn't affect you, it doesn't mean that it's still not relevant. That's right. And I made a, a comment on, on, on a post uh, the other day 
you're probably familiar with this comment about Black Lives Matter, and people get up in arms about that statement. And my comment was that if you or your family member had a certain form of cancer, let's say you had lung cancer, and it affected you or your brother or your loved one, whoever it is, directly in your family, then you would be all things lung cancer in terms of how to stop it, how to fight it. So if you were to say someone, you know, lung cancer matters, we need to find ways to, uh, to cure this and to, you know, find ways to, to, you know, find better treatment, et cetera. I don't think anyone would say to you, well, what about breast cancer? Well, what about, because I understand that you're talking about something that is affecting you or your family. Right. Well, the black lives matter movement is not saying other lives don't matter. You have to be very insensitive and a little detached to, to put yourself in a position to change the narrative as to what that is. You're not the one being affected by it. We are. Right. We're not saying your life doesn't matter, but your life is the one being, being affected like this. Our lives are. Mm. That's why we're saying it. Right. We're not saying it to, to bring inclusion only on African-American lives. We're saying it to bring awareness and attention on lives that aren't not being protected and respected and, and, and uh, valued, obviously not being valued. So, so, so that is a part of the system where there is, my mother used to tell me stories. My mother, when she was a child in Mississippi, all the black kids had to walk to school and the white kids would get on the buses. Hmm. This is my mother. She, when she turned 18, she left Mississippi and went to Chicago because she was so sick of it. Her father, my grandfather, was made by state law, to he was a farmer, to share his crops with the white farmers. It was called sharecropping, and it was a law. Hmm. Th- this is insane. And so fast forward to today, Fast forward to Minneapolis, fast forward to Trayvon Martin, to Eric Garner, to Ahmaud Arbery, and countless other names. They are victims of the system that has been ingrained in this society that we call America. And I have to say this, you know, you see so many white people get up in arms about the Colin Kaepernick story where he didn't kneel. Another man kneels on someone's neck, mm. and you're silent about that. Mm. Ka- Colin Kaepernick's decision to not kneel was because he refused to stand up and salute a flag that does not include us. Mm. That's what it was about. And if you miss that, that's your problem. Mm. Do the research and understand wh- why he did that, what the movement was about. But yet, he's being victimized as a villain by white America and his kneeling was in protest to a flag that doesn't support us. Never has and never will. And another white man kneels at the expense of someone's life. No one says a word, Uh you know, except for let's wait and see what happens. Let's give it a minute. Let's, let's not rush to judgment. Very, very frustrating, Bob. I'm about to cry right now. Mm-hmm. I I feel the pain and 
I hear you, I see you. What what are the steps? You know, you and I are people of we're people of peace. We are people who try to see a bigger divinity in the world. We're people who who were brought up with people of faith. And that faith has taught us to turn the other cheek and forgive. It's but it's also taught us justice will prevail. What do we do with this? What is the answer? And I'm not asking for an answer, but at what point do you say enough is enough? Systems have must change. I'm at a loss uh, because on one side of the of my brain, I'm thinking, you know, I really don't blame the people that have just had enough and are rioting. I, I don't condone that. However, I I understand the frustration. What else do you do when you're you know, when your family, your brother, your sister, your, your your relative is murdered and no one cares, so I understand that. But the other yeah. side of me, the other side of me is like, what what is the right answer? What is the good answer? What is the holy answer? I don't know. I'm confused. Help me with that. Well, you know, when we allow justice to be delayed and in most cases denied, like in Trayvon's Martin, Trayvon Martin's situation, what you're actually doing is giving the green light that this is okay. Hmm. Here's a man that killed an innocent black kid who was playing super neighborhood cop and was never, ever held accountable, accountable by law for that. So when you see the situation in, in, Glen County in, in Georgia, you know, with the McMichaels, they saw the green light. They keep seeing the green light. And that's what's so hard for for me, for African Americans, is that, you know, the country is given the green light. So why am I going to set up and salute a flag? Hmm. You're given the green light. Hmm. You I... know, too much passed before anything was said and done in, in Georgia. God forbid the video uh, was released. We probably would have never heard about the story, but it would have been another story that we've never heard about. Hmm. You had the, the, the local police department who is obviously in a cover-up situation, which is why they brought in outside authorities, you know, the GBI and FBI to look into why this case has lingered for two and a half months. Mm. You know, it's sometimes it feels like, I think it was Will Smith who said this. He said something to the effect of, there's not more racism today, it's just being filmed. And, thank, and that's very true. You know, thank very God true. thank God for the for those people who were there present but I just wonder how many go unfilmed and unseen yeah, all the time. And, and, and the hard thing about it, Bob, is that all these cases from Eric Garner, who was manhandled for supposedly selling illegal cigarettes, for selling illegal cigarettes, you have several white police officers tackle him down and put him in a choke lock. Again, I can't breathe, and nothing happens. 
So what did that what did that show? It shows the green light, mm. which is why what happened in Minneapolis happened because America is showing that there's a green light. Mm. Go ahead, mm-hmm. you got the clear. Yes. You got the you got the go ahead. Come on through. Do this. Mm. That's what you're saying. Mm. What do you wish that your white friends like me? First of all, what do we need to know that we don't know? And what do we need to do that we're not doing? Well, you know, Bob, I think that there, there's, there's a few things that, that, are, that are as simple as stop being silent about things that you know are wrong. Mm. That's the first thing, you know, because your silence is as bad as your admission of, of, of being a, a party to it. The second thing I would say, Bob, is that, you know, and there's a thing that, that, that we say as African-Americans, dear white people, dear white people, talk to your kids about these things candidly. You know, I've had some white friends of mine that I've had to talk to that simply didn't get it. And it wasn't until we had some long conversations that they got it. And to me, that was very disheartening Mm. that it took, it took a conversation of the obvious for you to get it. Are you not a human being? Mm. Like, why does it have to be an example? I mean, (laughs) you let a, a, a black kid walk into a white Catholic church and open fire. You tell me the outcome mm. when you walk out of that church. Mm. What's going to happen, Bob? If a black kid walks into a white Catholic church? A white church uh, opens fire. Mm. I, I'm reversing the situation with Dylan Roof in, yeah. in South Carolina. Gotcha. You tell me what's going to happen. <laughs> yeah, well, I think we know exactly you know? what would happen. We know exactly what would happen. He would be killed immediately, or... There would be no question asked. Yes, yes no None. question. And everybody would say, well, you know, he deserved it. <laughs> exactly. Mm-hmm. Exactly. But Dylan Roof, you know, he's taken without incident, coddled, stopped for food. That's that green light that I keep talking about. Yeah. You know, the other, the other term that we use is white privilege. You know, we all believe red. You know, God is no respecter of person, so there's no such thing as white privilege. And and when you have the audacity to say, well, what about saying Black Lives Matter? Again, you missed the point. You missed the whole point. Shame on you. You missed it. Yes, yes. And that uh, that's disturbing to me as well. It wasn't always, I have to admit, but it is disturbing when someone dismisses and says, the, the thing that drives me nuts, and I know it must drive you nuts a thousand times more, is when a white person says, well, why do you get always got to make it about race? It's extremely insensitive. It's extremely, uh, there's an extreme lack of self-awareness. But I believe that it's, you're, you're uncomfortable and don't want to deal with your own guilt when you make a statement like that. Um, Why do you have to always make it about race? I'm sorry, I'm just I'm just echoing that in my head. And I know what you're saying that people say that, but oh, that's so alarmingly disturbing. Mm. 
Mm-hmm. We didn't make it about race. Idiot. Do you not understand the history of this country? Do you think that they enslaved white people? No. They enslaved black people. Mm. Do you think they fought to keep black people enslaved? Yes. Not white people. Do you not see the same things happening today? We didn't make it about race. You did. Mm. What we did was woke up black. You Mm. made it about race. Mm. Mm. What, what, what do we do going forward? How do we change this? What's gonna, what's it gonna take? Well, I think the, I think one of the most important things is to be very swift and decisive in these situations. Because when you let them fester and when you feed us the let's not rush to judgment BS, that is the root of the problem. Mm. When you see something wrong, you don't need to try to justify or prolong the process. So one of the first things that needs to happen is accountability and swift accountability to the perpetrator. Mm. That is the first thing that needs to happen. Don't, and don't, allow, that, very, don't allow that green light to even turn on is what you're saying. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. And, you know, when you control that narrative, then you also control these rights that are happening because that is the outcry of the unheard. And again, I don't condone violence, but I do understand that when you ignore the obvious, when you allow people to run rapid and do what they want to do to African-Americans, then you're going to suffer some destruction in your city. And it's unfortunate, but you have the power to quickly and rightfully so take accountability and do something. Do the right thing. Mm. Put your child in that scenario. Put your brother in that scenario. Put yourself in that scenario. How about that? Yes. Yes. You know, I think, you know, what's happened in the past three and a half, four years with this idea of we're going to return America to some imaginary greatness, I know that those statements mean something very different to people of color than they do to white people. Yep. And it, it was great dur- dur- during during slavery days. It was great. Yeah. You know, um, that was great. Mm-hmm. So it was great it, for, in, in the, it was great in the 40s, 50s and 60s before civil rights. And I don't Exactly. I don't I don't believe hear me say this that that's every single person's conscious intention. Uh, I don't believe that for a second. However, what I do believe is there an is there an unconscious awareness, lack of awareness, of when you say things like that, you're not speaking for America. You're speaking for you. You're speaking for your family. You're speaking to your immediate circle of friends, but you're certainly not thinking or speaking of people that are very different than you. 
because their definition of making America great or better is probably a lot different than your definition of making America great and better. What's your thoughts on that? Well, you know, perhaps it is, you know, but of course that slogan is tied directly into the Donald Trump political campaign. So, you know, you know, I remember, you know, the stories of, of Donald Trump being, you know, sued for discrimination for not running to African-Americans. And so there's a mindset. There's a mindset. And, and you can't tell me anything different. You know, Donald Trump was also has been in support of Stop and Frisk, which significantly targets African-Americans, 70%. Don't take my word. Google it. Look at the law. Look at the statistics of Stop and Frisk. You know, before the Central Five, the Central Park Five was acquitted, Donald Trump was in support of them being in prison for the rest of their lives, something they did not do. So it is a mindset that ties directly into that campaign. So, and, you know, I'm not going to bite my tongue. I'm going to be very candid about my feelings. Mm. So it has very, very, very different meanings from one party to the other. Yes. Yes, I agree. I agree. And I think having those conversations, you know, one of the things that I've have attempted to do in my little way is sit down with people that are very different than me and have conversations and allow other people to listen in and to demonstrate what it means to simply just sit down and talk and try to learn from each other. That goes such a long way. We don't do enough of that. I don't do enough of it. I want to do more of it. But just sit down with people that are different than you and make a point of learning because until you walk in someone else's shoes, until you try to at least see a little bit through their eyes, you don't have any business making uh, a judgment or a, or a comment or an absolute statement about a situation because you don't know. You do not know. And so I think that's one thing we can do in our own little ways is practice taking your kids yourself, your family, your friends, and forcing yourself to be in situations with people that are very different than you, socioeconomic, racial, sexual preference, whatever it may be, just have a conversation. And what I've learned, Kendall, is (laughs) 99.9% of the time, you will change, you will walk away with a very different attitude, with a different perspective, And it's all because of one thing. You're basically the same. And when you see yourself in their shoes, then you say, oh, now I get it. I don't want that knee on my neck. I don't want it on my kid's neck. And I don't want it on their neck. Um, That's good. That's good. And I agree. You know, we're all human beings. I I recently read a book called Up in Slavery, which is a story of Booker T. Washington. Incredible read. Incredible. I gave you so much insight on the history of this country, I had a conversation with another white friend of mine some years ago who was challenging me on things like, well, why is there a BET, which is Black Entertainment Television, for those who don't know? If there was a WET, you would say it's racist. I said, man, everything outside of BET is WET. You know, and it almost it almost got me so upset that I'm like, you know, 
if you if you look at and you you can do this even now, but especially 15, 20 years ago before BET. But if you if you were to look at you know ten television shows on primetime television, how many all black cast would you see? Or or not even all black cast. How many times would you even see an African American in a major network sitcom? How many times would you see black music not represented at these major award shows, which is why they created the Soul Train Awards and Black Music Awards. So it those things were created as a platform to recognize us because white America wasn't. It's not an, it's not to cast out any other person. It's to say that we don't need you to give us credit. We'll we'll create our own platform because you're obviously not giving us the credit. So BET was created because everything else is WET. It's just not called that. Right. And so I had to explain that to him in a way that he finally he finally got it. And I said, so if you have if you had a white child who said, I want to be an actor, I want to be an actress, and they never saw themselves being represented on television, then their aspirations, their passion to be that would eventually die out. It would flicker out like a flame because they never see themselves doing those things. So we created a forum to give tons of opportunity instead of waiting for them for little black kids to see black people acting on TV. We created award shows. You know, before Michael Jackson crossed over, you would never see, never see a black person on MTV. That's why we have BET. People just don't get it. So we're supposed to sit around and wait for people to give us opportunities? Absolutely not. Would you? Probably not. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah, that's a great point. Well, I do want to make that point because people always bring up these very strange comments about things like that, and it's just like, you don't get it. Right. It's a white world we live in. We're mm-hmm. creating an opportunity for us to have opportunities. And people say, well, what about HBCUs? Historically Black College University, same thing. Again, this book that I read on Booker T. Washington, black people were not allowed. Look at the Little Rock Five. Give me a freaking break. We weren't allowed education. We were killed for picking up books to try to learn how to read. That's why we created HBCUs. People just don't get it. Yeah, yes. White people can go there, too. It's not. It's not to say... White people can't go there. White people are on BET. It's just we created a format and a, and a medium for us to have opportunities opposed to being denied and held down from opportunities. That's right. That's why it exists. That's, That's right. why it exists. It's not, to, it's not to keep someone of a different nationality out of it. It's to give us an opportunity where we normally wouldn't have it, for education, for entertainment, on down the line. Yes. So for those of you listening that never understood that, hopefully that sinks in. Yes. Yes, absolutely. This has been so good. What is the, what are some things that you would recommend for someone who may be listening to this, Kendall, and who's like, wow, I want to cross over and I don't want to just be not a racist. I want to be an ally. Is there things that you would recommend? Are there 
is there a book or two? Is there something? Is there a, a documentary? What what can we do to spread the message in a positive way, but also bring deep understanding and awareness and unity to to really drive change and to and to make this voice louder? What would you recommend for persons who didn't walk in your shoes, who don't understand it? but who really, really want and desire and feel helpless? What, what, what can we do? What can we read? What can we watch? What can we do? What can we, well, how can we educate ourselves? Well, you know, there's several things out there. I mean, the book I just mentioned, Up in Slavery, is a great depiction. I would also say visit some of these, some of these black museums. I had a chance to visit a museum in Montgomery, Alabama, which is the Rosa Parks uh, Museum, which was absolutely life-changing for me as a person of color. You literally walk into a museum that takes you on a tour back in that era where you are walking through a guided tour, a guided a tour of a voice walking you through the events that led to Rosa Parks not giving up her seat um, to a white person, mm. and which, was, which started the Montgomery Boycott, which was a huge movement, I would say the African American Museum of History in Washington D.C. Because mm. I think when you go, when you when you get a chance to visit some of these things, it helps you to see things in a much broader context in terms of why people are, why people are the way they are, and it will also dispel a lot of the ignorances that people have towards the the way people people of color, black people react to certain things. So until you understand the history of anything, regardless of what it is, you're going to have a hard time understanding how it works and why it works the way it works. So I would say ingrain yourself in some of that history. A lot of it is very painful, but it will give you a much broader perspective of why things are the way they are and why people react the way that they react mm. to certain things that are happening today. Mm. That's good. That's good. Kendall, I want to thank you for taking the time. I thank you for your honesty, your passion. I know this is painful and uh, infuriating on some levels to even talk about, but it's an important conversation that must be had. If there's going to be change, and I believe there will, I hope it comes in my lifetime. If not, I hope my grandkids can benefit from it. But uh, I just want to thank you, uh, and thank you for your family and for all that you guys do to push this conversation forward in positive ways. Is there anything that you can share with people if they want to maybe get in touch with you? Do you just look you up on Instagram, Facebook? How, how do people find you if they want to connect with you? Sure. Well, first of all, I want to say thank you, Bob, for opening this platform, for sharing your microphone to a very important and relevant matter. I uh, sincerely believe that you are an advocate for change, and I applaud you for um, saying the things that you say and, and posting things that you post, despite the pushback that you may get from some of your you know, fellow contemporaries, if you will. I applaud you for that, and I think that that's a part of the process of healing the ignorance that racism breeds. Mm. People can find us. We, we are collectively as a group. Our social media handle on Instagram is uh, D3E group, that's D as in David, 
Let me just double check that to make sure I'm giving the right information. But while I'm doing that, you can find me on Instagram um, at Deep C Vegan. That's D E E P S E A V E G A N. I'm actually a certified advanced deep sea scuba diver and a vegan chef. That's where the name comes from. So you can find me there. And on, on Facebook, it's my name, Kendall Duffy, K-E-N-D-A-L-L-D-U-F-F-I-E. And so our D3 Entertainment Group page is D3E Group. That's our page on uh, Facebook and Instagram. You can find us there. Uh, follow some of the things that we're doing, some of the in fact, it's funny, we just finished a campaign right before this whole pandemic called Just Mercy, which is a story, a true story, uh, based on an attorney named Brian Stevenson that I just saw that as I went to our page to look at it, that uh, talks about a, a man who was wrongfully convicted of a murder that he had nothing to do with. He was very similar to what happened in, in Central Park. I've seen that film. Ago. It's great. Yeah, thank you. But basically, he was, he was reported to be somewhere that he wasn't by a white woman. And because of that, he was sentenced to, to life, uh, actually sentenced to death. Mm. And through the uh, tireless work of Brian Stevenson, who was one of our modern-day heroes, an African-American uh, attorney, he was acquitted and set free. And so that story just resonates, again, <laughs> with where we are today, you know, you know, over and over. But so, so again, Bob, I applaud you. I, I appreciate you taking the time out of your day. Um, opening up your microphone to discuss this very important uh, topic. My prayer is that people will be challenged to do something that will affect change. Mm, mm, that's good. Thanks again for joining us. I encourage everyone to go follow Kendall and D3. Great group of people. Just just can't say enough. And thanks again for taking the time. And who knows, maybe we'll continue this on another <laughs> another episode. Lots more to talk about. But but thank you, Kendall, for sure. taking the time. All right, man. We'll You're talk welcome. to you soon. Thank you, Bob. Bye-bye. Thank you.